I'd like to read for you from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, uh, which tells us the, uh, the story of the wise men. Matthew, chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it Rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, Christians have been celebrating Christmas for nearly two millennia, 2,000 years. The earliest record we currently have of Christians celebrating Christmas uh, is in the mid or late second century. Uh, when, and in that time, Christmas Day was on May the 6th. That's given plenty of time, 2,000 years, for many extra additions, many traditions to be added to the story, uh, along with a number of things that we might think are part of the original story, but are actually myths. We, uh, we may sing the carol, the popular carol, We Three Kings of Orient Are, but as we just heard in the reading, we're not told how many there were. And they weren't kings, as in royal kings, they were wise men. This word is magi, from which we get our English word magician. They were scholars, they were sages who studied the stars, they studied ancient wisdom and the stories of their culture, along with all of the writings that they could get their hands on, which would have included the religious writings of the Jews, what we call the Old Testament in the Bible. They came from the east, somewhere in the region that we know today as Iraq and Iran. Now we know that in the ancient world people used stars to navigate and that many of them also believed that Stars represented gods and kings. So a new star appearing in the sky meant to them the birth of a king. 
and its location in the sky told them where this king was born, at least which part of the world this king had been born. For them, this star was so significant that they were prepared to travel to a destination over 1,200 kilometres away. That's as the crow flies from the east to Israel, but they would have had to go up the north to avoid the desert. So they probably would have travelled twice that distance and it would have taken them a year or more to travel that distance in those days. That, meant, that means that our nativity scenes are not quite accurate. By the time they arrived, the shepherds were long gone and Jesus would have been a toddler, somewhere between one and two years of age. Now we might ask, why then did these wise men come to visit Jesus? And more importantly, why do the New Testament writers consider this part of the story important enough to include in the Christmas story. Well, the key is where they came from, the East. For Bible people, the East wasn't just a compass direction. It was a location. Both in Hebrew and Greek, the languages of the Bible, the word East is connected with the word for sunrise. In Hebrew, it also carries connotations of ancient times or of beginnings since the day begins as the sun rises in the east. So if we go right back to the beginning, to the opening chapters of the Bible, we find that they're all set in the east in that region. The Garden of Eden, which was the location of the first human beings, was in the east. This garden was a place where people lived in harmony with one another, with the creation and most importantly the life-giving presence of God was there with them. He provided for them, he sustained them. And the plan was that Eden wouldn't just remain in one place but as mankind was fruitful and multiplied and filled the earth they would take this paradise of Eden to all four corners of the world. Not just the east, but the east, the west, the north and the south. Now the description of Eden has in it a river that flowed from Eden that watered the world. The name of the first uh, river that came from this river from Eden is the Pishon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Fidelium and onyx stone are there. So the land of the east was known for gold, for Fidelium which was an aromatic resin like frankincense and for precious stones. So if you're thinking there's a connection maybe with these gifts that the wise men brought, hold that thought because we'll come back to it in a moment. When the people disobeyed God, they turned their backs on him, they were expelled from the garden and the entrance in the east 
was closed off and guarded to prevent them from coming back into the presence of God. He drove the man out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Every human being since then has been born outside of Eden, outside of paradise. Because of our sin, we can no longer stand in the presence of a pure, holy creator without facing the judgement that our sin deserves. So humanity has now been scattered across the world but we've had to leave Eden behind. Instead of the blessing of paradise in the presence of God, the earth is under decay and futility and death. Humanity is characterised by greed and selfishness and violence and all life ends in the grave, which is God's righteous judgement upon our sin. The dilemma for humanity from that point has been Will we ever be allowed back into Eden, back into the presence of God without fear, back to how we were created and designed to be? And the rest of the Bible is the unfolding story of how God has solved that dilemma. The story of redemption begins with a man called Abram or Abraham who lived in the east but it was called to leave the east and to head west. He arrived in this region that uh, you'll see on the map in the moment that we know as Palestine and he was given the promise that the nation that came from him would be given the land and that it would be through one of his descendants that this restoration of the original design for humanity would come to pass. Now, Abraham's descendants, however, ended up even further west in Egypt, about as far from the east as they could imagine in the world of that time. And for 400 years they lived there in the west where they became enslaved to the king of Egypt until the great event that defined the identity of the Israelite people, the Exodus, when they were set free by God and brought finally into the promised land. Now, meanwhile, in the east, while they were all in the west, three great civilizations of Assyria, modern-day Syria, Babylonia, modern-day Iraq, and Persia, modern-day Iran, they were all growing in size and in power and their rulers were were growing in their aspirations to become world superpowers. Now God had plans for these nations. He would use them to bring judgement upon the Israelites who despite being miraculously rescued from Egypt, generation after generation they kept turning aside and worshipping false gods and idols. So, He allowed the Assyrians to gain dominance and they invaded Israel and scattered the northern tribes of Israel right across their empire. Then, just over a century after that, God allowed the Babylonians to rise to power 
They invaded again and they took the remaining tribes, the Jews, into exile into the east. So now God's people were right back where it actually all started. The place where the blessing of God was supposed to go from Eden out to every corner of the earth. The place from which God had called their ancestor, Abraham. But they weren't a free people. They were there as exiles and as strangers where the world was ruled by evil kings and tyrants who had slaughtered their families and oppressed millions across the known world. Well, finally, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians who allowed many of the Jews to return to Israel where they had to wait patiently for God's promise to restore Eden. They were ruled over by the Greeks and then the Romans until the time came, already planned, already set by God, for God's Son to step into the world as a man to become the Saviour and the King, not just of the Jews but of the whole world. Now did you imagine that such a long and complicated story lay behind that simple phrase, wise men from the East? These men, as I said, would have studied the Jewish writings that had been available to them for centuries, brought to them by the Jews who were there in, in exile. They possibly would have read these words written 1,500 years earlier about a conquering Jewish king who was called a star. I see him now, but I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Their arrival to visit Jesus in response to seeing the star in the sky, quite possibly saying, This is what this ancient prophecy has told us. Their arrival to visit Jesus indicated that this prophecy was finally being fulfilled. Their place of origin in the east was pointing to the fact that Jesus wasn't merely the king of the Jews but that he would be the one through whom God would bring everything back to its original Eden design. Human beings reconciled to God once again able to walk in the presence of God without fear of judgement. Creation restored to its original harmony and fruitfulness, abounding in goodness and purpose. The fact that God had revealed the news of the birth of Jesus not to Herod, the current king of the Jews, but to these non-Jewish, idolatrous, pagan men from a people that for centuries had been Israel's conquerors and oppressors, tell us that what he was about to accomplish in Jesus wouldn't be just for the Jews but for all people and not just for those who think they're acceptable to God but for those who know that they are in fact far away from him. Jesus came not for people who love God, he came for God's enemies which is all of us. Now as we saw earlier these gifts they brought again they take us back to 
Eden, reminiscent of this land of Havilah, wherever that was, with its aromatic resin and its precious stones and gold. But there's a twist. The gold is there, the aromatic resin in the form of frankincense is there, but instead of precious stones, there's myrrh, the oil used to embalm the dead. Myrrh pointed forward to his death, to the day when his body would be taken down from the cross, bound in linen cloths with myrrh and aloes and placed in a tomb. So the gold points us to his status as God's chosen and appointed king, given to rule over us in righteousness and peace. The frankincense points us to his role as a priest, the only one who is able to bring us back into God's presence. But the myrrh points to the means by which these two will be accomplished, by giving himself as a sacrifice for us, dying the death we deserve, facing the fiery sword of the cherubim that had kept us out of Eden, being banished from the presence of God and being laid in a grave that was meant for us. From the moment of his birth, the fact, in fact long before even the world was even created, this was his destiny, to pay the ransom for sinners like you and me, so that having been reconciled to God, we are no longer his enemies, but beloved children. I once spoke to a man who was animate that human beings were essentially good and that we all have within ourselves the capacity to make the world a perfect place. And I asked him, well, why, after thousands and thousands of years of trying, we still haven't been successful? And he had no answer. The reality is, behind the gloss and the facade of our technology and our tinsel and our decorations and our bubble of prosperity and comfort, the world and the human race is actually no better off now than it has ever been. The current crisis in Ukraine, along with the 20 or so other wars that are currently being fought around the world, are a reminder to us that humanity remains greedy and selfish and violent. None of us may have invaded another country, yet in our hearts we are no different to those with corrupt political power in the world. And the recent pandemic has reminded us that we live in a creation, in a world that while it contains so many good and beautiful things, many elements are hostile and dangerous against which we still have no defence. Nothing can cover up the fact that creation, as the Bible puts it, is groaning because it's been given over to futility by God as a constant reminder to us that things are not the way they should be. This is why we need Jesus. Jesus is God doing for us that which we cannot and will not do. He lived the life we should have lived, one of perfect love for God and perfect love for his neighbour, seen most clearly when he went to the cross in the place of sinners. He bore God's righteous wrath 
He entered into our death and he rose again to show that he's conquered sin and death and hell. And Jesus promises a future day when he will return and renew the whole creation, removing once and for all all sin and injustice and death. So the wise men from the east are there as an example for us to follow. All of our great learning and wealth gained over centuries of study and religious practices, all of our history of great civilizations and powerful empires with ambitions to conquer and rule and make the world into what we want it to be, are all to be laid aside as we come to Jesus like them and fall down and worship him as the gift he is from the Father given in great love to a world that deserves the opposite. Jesus alone provides the hope that this world desperately needs.